Today's scripture is Luke 54 through 62. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and when Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Good morning. Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Um, humbled by how you love us and you extend your grace and mercies to us. For any of the people here who have not experienced that, Lord, I ask for that, but I also hesitate to ask for that because in a lot of the instances, it is in the form of suffering and pain and brokenness that that is felt. But if people do desire that and they ask that of you, Lord, you will have it happen. So I just pray for your strength as they experience that. I pray, God, that this morning would be more than just knowledge and information going into people's heads to accumulate biblical information, but that this brings about life change, this brings about transformation, that this is more than just conviction and challenge, that this fleshes out into something that is deep within that changes. In Jesus' name, amen. To get a more complete picture of uh, what happened to Jesus here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we can cross-reference to other gospel accounts to get a more comprehensive picture. We can look to Mark and John. And and so, for example, Mark gives us uh, insight into what the disciples did while Luke gives us the gospel story from his perspective. Mark found it important to record for us that they all left him and fled. Mark chapter 14, verse 50. Luke doesn't give us that detail. Luke doesn't mention that it was Simon Peter who struck the high servant's ear. John gives you that detail that it's Malchus and gets his ear cut off. John chapter 18, verse 10. So it's really important for us to read all four gospel accounts to get a more complete picture of the Bible. And there are many details that can be found in all the four gospels. But there is one in particular that I want to point out that is found in all four gospels. And it's that Peter followed Jesus. That Peter followed Jesus. John recorded that he followed him too. right? John always likes to put himself as the one that he loved or something. You know, he likes to, he has this false humility thing going on. But in John chapter 18, he says that, right? But we're in Luke, and so we're going to talk about John when we get to John's gospel. I can't promise you when that's going to be, but sometime. So we're going into Luke. Verse 54, chapter 22. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Have you ever wondered why Peter followed in the first place? 
Have you ever thought about that? Matthew and Mark told us that they all took off. So if they all took off, this must mean that Peter circled back. Right? He, he came back. That's what I think. And so he's starting to follow at a distance. And people often give Peter a really hard time because they're like, man, look at that guy. He has like foot and mouth disease, always saying things out of turn, interrupting Jesus, uh, interrupting Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, walking on the water and then sinking. And he just says all this stuff. And he gets freaked out when a junior high girl says, oh, you're one of them. No, I'm not, no, I'm not. And, you know, he's all this stuff. But did any other disciple walk on the water? Like even a step? Right? And did Jesus tell any of them, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven? Did any of them, besides John, uh, circle back to follow Jesus even at a distance? Right? No. So we can look at Peter as a failure, because he was at times, but there is no faith if there is no risk of failure. Right? It's just not there. There's just no faith if you don't risk failure. And the greater the risk, the greater the exercise of faith. And Peter was a risk taker. He risked stepping out of the boat on the water. He risked answering Jesus' question when the other guys were just kind of afraid. And he risked circling back to follow Jesus. And I think Peter following Jesus speaks volumes about his character. It took a great amount of courage, a great amount of bravery. You remember what he told Jesus in verse 33? Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And he really meant what he said. He's not just saying this. His intention was to go to prison and die with Jesus. But when the time actually came, he freaked out. He freaked out. He cut the guy's ear off and he ran. His intention was sincere, but he failed. He risked failure by boldly making that claim that he'd never leave, that I'd die for you, by, and also by taking a swing with that sword and, and cutting off Malchus' ear. So we see Peter as a courageous disciple. We also see Peter as a loyal disciple. You, you look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 58. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. You catch that last part? So his intention was to be there till the very end. He was going to be loyal to the very end. Now you can be a cynic and say, you know, Peter was crazy. He's not courageous. He's just crazy. And you can say that he was just a looky-loo. He just wanted to see the train wreck. He just wanted to stop by and see the car accident. And he he wasn't loyal. He was just kind of curious in that way. But if you look at the New Testament in its entirety, you're going to find out that Peter had a really good, sincere heart to follow Jesus. And yes, he he failed at times, but, but his heart was in it. So Peter is a failure with a good heart. A risk taker who, who was brave, courageous, loyal, and loving. It was love that allowed him to take risks, that drove him to be daring. He, he ran away, yes, but he, he circled back and he followed at a distance. And I would argue to say it's because of love that he did that. Now, Peter's name means the rock, right? The rock. And he's not such a rock here. Not at all. How did that happen? How did that happen that he didn't turn out with what his namesake was? 
How did he go from Mark chapter 14, verse 29, when he said, even though they all fall away, I will not. How did he go from that posture, and also in verse 31 when he said, but he emphatically said, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. How did he go from that to denial? To running away, to to not being with Jesus? How did he go from such a proclamation to denial? Well, we've all heard of fight or flight, right? And I think Peter did both. He initially did the fight thing, and then he did the flight thing. And there's also a third option. It's freeze. That's what possums do, right? Like, they don't fight, and they don't flight. They just, like, they play possum. So there's another. They freeze. But what did Jesus do? There's also die, right? Because if you don't flight, you don't fight. And sometimes you freeze, you die too. But Jesus didn't freeze. But Jesus chose to die. He willingly died. There's a fourth option there. Death. Because we react when we are threatened, don't we? That's just an instinctual thing that we do. Now, as humans, we kind of go beyond instinct sometimes. Because as humans, if your family was threatened, if your loved one was threatened, you have those four decisions to make also. You fight, you flight, you freeze, or you will die for them. I will fight to the death for you. I will push you out of traffic's way and I will take the hit. Right? Or I will give you the last flotation device of this sinking ship and I'm going to give that to you. And, and so we as humans, we can have a higher calling for the people that we love and we can say, I'm going to choose to die in this threat. Because by me dying, you live. That's what Jesus did for us. There's a threat. There's a threat of sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to run away from it. I'm not going to fight violently with it. I'm not going to freeze. I'm going to die for you so that you guys can live. And that's what Jesus did here. It's probably something that you guys would do for your family. Or your loved one. I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't think twice to take a bullet for my daughters or my wife. I, it wouldn't even be a thought. I'd just be, uh, here I come Jesus. Like, not even a thought. And I think a lot of you are the same. You would cover them in an earthquake, right? Or you would do something for them to sacrifice yourself in order to save their life. And dying to yourself in the absence of self-protection or self-preservation. And I think that's what Peter struggled with here. Self-preservation is what I think he struggled with. He, he wanted to save his own life. Whoosh. What, we're not fighting? Ah! And he's off. And Jesus was sacrificial. Like, I'm not going to fight. I'm not taking off. I'm not freezing. You guys can do what you want. I'm, I'm choosing to die to save everyone else's life. And he gave up his sinless life in order that you and I could live and look righteous before a holy God. Peter loved Jesus. He really did. But he loved himself more. Right? He, he loved himself more. Jesus loved Peter more than his own life. 
And he has that same love for you and me. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And Jesus practices what he preached. He's selfless. And Peter's just not quite there yet. Yet. He will be. Right? You, you go into church history and you find out Peter is going to be crucified and he says, uh, I'm not worthy. Crucify me upside down. And so at this point of the scriptures that we're in, Luke chapter 22, Peter still struggled with selfishness and self-denial and dying to self. And he, he was all about self-preservation. He didn't know himself as well as he thought he did. He wasn't able to go to prison. He wasn't able to die with Jesus yet. Verse 33, when he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Peter was notoriously impulsive. Wasn't he? he? He he just like spoke things. He processed things by talking. Some of you are like that too, right? Like you, you just talk, 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 and you're like, "Oh, I said that." But he really meant what he said. It's just that there was this gap between what he said and, and what he really was that was inconsistent. You know, his heart was in it, but his character was not. The very character of, of his being was not. Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. That's a struggle that we have, isn't it? Where uh, what we say and where our heart is even is inconsistent with our character. We have the greatest intents. We have the greatest intents to serve our community, to battle injustice, and, and to serve the Lord, and, and, and to do the right things. And we even verbally declare them, especially after mission trips and after you come back from a conference or a retreat. We, we love the, oh, I'm never going to do that again. And I'm going to study my Bible and wake up at four in the morning, and, and I'm going to do all this stuff. And, and we, we totally, our heart's in it, and we say it. And we totally feel like we're going to do it, but then your alarm wakes you up at 8. You know what I think it is? I think our hearts are great. I think we really mean what we say. I think the thing is is that our character gap between what we say and where our heart really is is just not there. We have a gap in our character. And we're just not there yet. We fail. And Jesus knows that, and he, and he knows us better than we know ourselves. And we're so, I think oftentimes we're just a lot harder on ourselves than I think even Jesus is on us. Because he already knows. He doesn't tell Peter, like, you loser. He just tells him, like, the rooster's going to crow three times, and I, I just need to let you know that, son. Like, that, that, that's going to happen. He loved Peter, and you don't see Jesus condemning Peter for his denial of him, and nor does Jesus condemn you when you've made those failures. Your, your heart was in it, and you said those things, but it just never happened, and Jesus isn't just saying, like, I knew it. You're a loser. He's not thinking that at all, and maybe some of us are like Peter when we're up here, and we're like, even though they fall away, I will not. And we get a little puffed up, and we get a little prideful, and I just have to kind of warn you guys, be careful about that. You know, be, be careful about that. 
I've caught myself in this too. I've just known a lot of pastors who have fallen away because of sexual immorality and affairs and all this kind of stuff. And I am not tempted at all. I'm confessing that. Like I, I am loyal to my wife. I, I do not meet with people one-on-one without her knowing my schedule or the doors open or a staff member nearby and I take all the precautions and everything. But then I caught myself and I was like, if General Petraeus can fall, who am I? Because that guy's the bomb. That guy's solid. Right? And so, so who am I? And, and I need to catch myself in those things and, and to say, like, even though those guys fall away, I will not. Peter fell. And I'm no Peter. Right? And, and, and the Bible is clear in pointing out that we are imperfect and unable and limited and mistake prone. And, and we prove it every day, don't we? We prove that every day. So be careful about self-righteousness, about pride and being puffed up and arrogant about what we are and what we're not. The prophet Jeremiah, this popped up to me because this is where I am in my personal studies. I'm in the book of Jeremiah for myself. And in chapter 17, verse 9, he wrote, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's me. And Jeremiah goes on to write in verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. God searches the heart, the inner you. He searches your mind. He searches your understanding, your thinking, your reflection, your will, your your conscience, your moral character, your passions, your emotions, those deep-seated things. He searches those things. He's not searching your organ. right? He's not searching those arteries and the ventricles and the aorta. He's not doing that. He's looking at something deeper. Now, the word mind in that verse is actually not mind. It's kidneys. Did you know that? In the Hebrew, it's kidneys. It's not mind. And you're like, what? Kidneys? God wants to know if we're filtering blood properly? He wants to know, like, our nephrons? and what, what, what? It's not the organ, right? It's not the heart. It's not the kidneys. So what is it about kidneys? Think about this. Oh, I'm laughing so hard. I'm going to pee in my pants. Right? Kidneys. So think about this. So in the Hebrew mind, the kidneys, they are the seat of emotions. They are the seat of affections. Isn't that so true? Think about this. When we're laughing so hard and you have to tell people, oh, stop, stop, I'm going pee in my pants. Or when people get so scared, what do they do? You know, us in this society, we've made things so clean and sterile, right? I mean, we're like, oh, oh, no, no kidneys. Mind. We must put mind. He tests our mind, not kidneys. We just want to make a really sterile image. But the Lord searches the heart and tests the mind? No, he tests your kidneys. He's testing your kidneys. He, He wants to take a urinalysis of your emotions, of your affections, how those things come about. What is your pH level on those things, man? Like, 
Is it sweet? You know, come on. Like, you know, and how does that come into being? And, and the very character that conjured up that emotion, that conjured up that affection, he's getting down to that. It's not your mind. The mind falls under your heart. Because that, that's the definition of that one. Sorry I had to go there a little bit because the middle school and high school were joining us this morning, so I had, got it. had to do that. I'm sorry. So he searches and he tests so deeply in each of us so that we can spot out the inconsistencies within us between what we say and even what we feel in comparison to who we really are. Because how you feel is totally different until you take the lab test and they say, like, your sugar's high. You're on the verge of diabetes. And you don't know that until you take that little test. And so God tests those things. He's looking into those things. How well do we really know ourselves? Not nearly as well as you and I think. And God knows us much better. And we may be courageous and we may be brave and loyal and even loving like Peter. But are those great qualities in each of us actually masking who we really are on the inside? Because it's just the stuff that we're showing on the outside, but really on the inside it's not consistent. Or we can look at the not so great qualities in each of us. Like in Peter, we find someone who's impulsive and reckless and brash and hot-headed. And that may be some of us. But is that how we identify ourselves or others when that is actually masking who we really are on the inside? Because on the inside, we're really not like that. We are coping with something or we're defending something. We've been abused. We've been hurt and we've been traumatized. So we're acting out in this other way. But really deep on the inside, you're not like that. And God sees the real you. He sees past all that stuff. All the stuff that you're pretending and masking and acting. There is no hiding from him. He knows the real you. And God knows that person deep inside you. And you know what? He loves that person. He really does. Verse 55, And when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. Why didn't Peter just leave? This little girl comes up to him and starts saying, like, Oh, you're, you're with him. And why didn't he just like, get up and go? And I wonder if he was just kind of there thinking about, man, I said I was going to go to prison with him, and I said I was going to die with him, and now I'm here, and then now this junior high girl is telling me this this time, and I really want to get this right. And I'm just wondering, is, is that what's going on? I have no idea. It's just conjecture. But is that what's going on? Verse 57, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And I'm just wondering if he's sitting there, and he's wondering, man, I really I, I want to do it different. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And so he failed again. Now, do you ever feel like you just can't overcome an obstacle in your life? You can't overcome that struggle. You can't overcome that habitual sin thing that you're struggling with. And you're struggling with the same thing over and over again. Verse 59 here. And after an interval of about an hour... 
Still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. He's just failing over and over again. And actually, Matthew and Mark record that Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And it's not until or unless God intervenes and gives us a wake-up call of our character flaws. Because it wasn't until the rooster crowed after his denial of him three times and then the rooster crowed did he wake up from his denial. And so the rooster crowed. And and sometimes we have these alarms go off in us too, like after we've done a certain thing or a certain number of times or whatever. and, And we have to get woken up like... Come on. And you notice that the rooster crowed while he was speaking. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Do this sometime. Mark this point in Peter's life. He wept bitterly. Mark his life before this happened and then record what happened in his life after this. It's pretty amazing. This part right here. Because this is where Peter got a really good look at who he really was. Not who he said he was, not who he felt like he was, but who he really was in his heart, in his kidneys. And this is not a judgment on Peter. Jesus said to the crowd who wanted to stone to death that woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8, verse 7, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. We're in no place to judge Peter. We're in no place to judge one another. Because we're all sinners. Have any of us denied Jesus at different points in our life? I got a stone. Because how often are we more about self-preservation and saving ourselves and looking good and, and portraying something instead of denying who we are as disciples of Jesus. How often have we looked to satisfy our flesh, to fill our flesh and to do things that are just feeling good for us instead of devotion to Jesus, knowing that the Scriptures say this, therefore I'm going to take a stand for that even though I feel differently. Because it's not all about feelings. It's not about just what you say. It's what's really in your heart. It's what's really the seat of your emotions and your affections. And none of us can pick up a stone because we've all gone astray. We've all sinned and gone astray. Let's be honest with who we are. Where our weaknesses are and, and how easily we fall into temptation. And that's why Jesus prayed and that's why Jesus told them, pray that you do not fall into temptation. And we so desperately need to pray. To pray that we don't fall into temptation. Because if we don't deal with those hidden sins in our life, they don't just go away. It doesn't just disappear. It's there. It's just dormant. It's dormant until that time of weakness. And we have to expose them in order for them to lose their grip on our life. You have to expose that stuff. You look back to verse 61. The Lord turned 
and looked at Peter. Before we get to that verse, I think there are a lot of us here who have great intentions and we have a great heart and we say things that we really want to do and we really mean them. I think part of the reason why we fail often is because we have a character gap. That who we really are isn't representative of what we are saying or even of what we are doing in the short-term time. But if you carry it out into the long-term, pull that out into a, a, a more wide vision, we cannot sustain it because our character is not there to sustain it. And so oftentimes, and this is something I've shared before with our church, I'm so discouraged about And I don't mean to whip you or judge you or condemn you. This is just a concern as a pastor. Where are we as a church in terms of prayer? Because this is the starting point of where changes happen. It is not the starting point of doing something. And I think that's the big failure of the churches. We think that we have to do something. That we have to do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, as Micah 6, 8 says? Absolutely. But how did Micah even become a prophet? That's a man of prayer. And, and it starts with prayer to usher in change. Like the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is telling them to pray, they need to do that first. And they did, and that's why they kind of freaked out and went away and stuff like that. And then Jesus comes back and resurrection, Holy Spirit, and it changes the game again because Jesus can't fail. But that's the problem that we have. We always think that, oh, we have to be on the forefront of doing justice and doing these things. Absolutely. But have you prayed about it first? Or are you going about it first and saying, Lord, bless me? Or you're saying, like, I'm going to bathe this thing in prayer and I'm following the Holy Spirit's leading wherever that may be and I'm going to be subservient and obedient to that. And I think that's a big problem that we have. We want to do a lot of good things for the community and we want to do things for the world. But we're just going about it without a ton of prayer. Back to verse 61. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. What story do you think Jesus' eyes told Peter when their eyes met? I think it was really profound. I think it was incredible because it led Peter to go out and weep bitterly. And I don't think it was because of condemnation, but it was because of love. Jesus' eyes were like those of the prodigal son's father. Right? And yes, I would think that they had hurt and sorrow and pain in Jesus' eyes, but also of hope that, Peter, you're going to come back. Because remember I told you when you come back, you're going to strengthen your brothers. So you're going to come back. And I'm sure in Jesus' eyes there was this look of grace and mercy and kindness and compassion and forgiveness and, and love because it was Jesus who taught that story of the prodigal son to Peter. And when Peter saw Jesus' eyes, he remembered. He remembered what Jesus told him he'd do, that he'd deny him, and he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, what caused Peter to weep bitterly wasn't condemnation. It was Jesus' love. It was Jesus' kindness. It is God's kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance, as Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul wrote that. It would have been very understandable to judge Peter at that moment because in terms of justice, Peter didn't deserve Jesus' look of grace. Peter deserved judgment. But Peter's story doesn't end here. If you look at Peter's life, 
into the book of Acts and in church history, you will find an amazing man of God. And yes, the resurrection of Jesus blew Peter away. It just blew his heart up. It blew his kidneys up, right? And yes, the Holy Spirit filled Peter to do miraculous things. But there was something that happened within the deepest parts of Peter that were more consistent with what he began to say, with what he began to do, and believe. And Peter said in chapter 2 of Acts, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And the person he really was was more in line with what he was saying and what he really believed. Now, if you're just reading the Bible and you're following Peter's story up until Acts chapter 2, what would you be thinking if Peter was going to speak out to the crowd? You'd be like, no! Right? You'd be like, don't you say a word! Like, be quiet, Peter! And you'd be like, oh, what's he going to say? Oh, oh, man. Because he has foot and mouth disease, right? So... You don't want him to talk. And he's interrupting Jesus. And he got rebuked, right, at Caesarea Philippi when he was saying, oh, yeah, you're the Christ. And then the very next thing, and Jesus is saying, like, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Matthew chapter 16, verse 23, right? He gets schooled by Jesus. And it's just a chapter later, in chapter 17, Peter interrupted Jesus again. And I would say that this is even at a more monumentous occasion because this time it's on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was meeting with Moses and Elijah. I mean, uh, dummy. Matthew chapter 17, verses 3 through 6. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him, Jesus. And so here's the interruption. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And this is just the awesome part. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, and they were greatly afraid. Do you realize just what happened? God the Father had to come in and say to Peter, Shh! (laughs) Oi! God Himself was like, Be quiet! Listen to Jesus! Oh my gosh! Like, God Himself! God Himself stepped in while Peter was talking. I mean, he's just not getting it. Oh, Jesus, we built the tabernacle. And he's like, And so he's still showing his self-reliance and making claims like, you know what, those guys might fail you, but I'm not going to fail you. And and he still showed himself to be weak because he's like, oh yeah, Jesus, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for you. John, you're not the most loved. I'm going to cut your ear off. And and he's like, he's so weak and he still shows, he's like so self-reliant because the guy comes in like, oh, Malchus, and so those guys will leave you, but I never will. But this was the pivotal moment in Peter's spiritual growth. Right here. 
Peter's spiritual journey actually started long before this, though. It, it, right? Jesus called him, and, and he's learning from Jesus for three years, and, and he's failing over and over and over again, and, and he's experiencing the grace of God, and he's closing the integrity gap as his life is going on, right? Or in your perspective, it's this way, right? Unless you're reading Chinese, it's this way. But it's, and so he's closing the gap. And of what he's saying he was and what he, he felt he was, but who he really was, that's starting to close. And so outside of the courtyard of the high priest's house where, where Jesus is unlawfully detained, Peter wept bitterly. Like, like it, it finally got in there. It's finally getting in there. It's finally getting to his heart. Finally getting to his kidneys. And, and God was teaching Peter an incredible lesson about the depth of love that God had for him, even in his denial. Even in his denial. Because where else do you see Peter weeping bitterly? This is a pivotal event. Because he was so stubborn, he was so type A, he's a choleric, right? And he's, he's just this typical leader personality. And it wasn't until this point of failure that he understood himself so deeply. It wasn't until he was completely broken, repentant, to recognize the love of Jesus and the darkness that was within himself. You notice how little he changed before his brokenness, before this event, how little he changed. Because he's failing over and over again. Even when God intervened at the Mount of Transfiguration, that wasn't even what changed Peter's life. Right? And he continues to exercise his gift of impulsiveness. Right? He cut off Malchus's ear even after God showed up and said, listen to him. And he regularly spoke out of turn because he wanted to be first and he, and he wanted to be noticed and he wanted to be heard and he wanted to be the man. But things changed when Jesus and Peter's eyes met. At that moment of betrayal, things changed. Jesus penetrated into Peter's heart in a really profound way. Things really changed for Peter right here. And things started to even get more changed at the resurrection because Jesus calls him by name and shows him there and they're fishing out there and he's like, hey guys, catch anything? And he shows up to him and he's just full of grace and loving him and things really, really change when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. You see a a drastic change in Peter in the book of Acts. Whereas, you know, the people in Jesus' day, they would have cringed at Peter speaking at Acts chapter 2. Right? They were like, oh, please, don't, don't talk, man. Like, what's going to come out of your mouth? God's going to come out here and tell you to be quiet again. Like, you're just, like, this is nuts. And you see a totally different person who preached in Acts chapter 2. But he wouldn't have gained this understanding if he didn't take risks and continue to follow Jesus, even if it was at a distance. He wouldn't have been used by God in such incredibly magnificent ways if he wasn't completely broken. Because it wasn't until he was completely broken that Jesus built him back up. And revealed to him the resurrected body. And the Holy Spirit was able to fill him to do the work of God. 3,000 people repented and gave their life to Jesus. 
because of Peter's Holy Spirit-filled preaching. But the Holy Spirit would not have been able to enter Peter as a vessel to outpour his spirit without that vessel first being broken and shaped to deliver the gospel. There was something that happened before. And sometimes people are just like, oh, Holy Spirit, fill us. And Have you done the other stuff first? And do you really want to? Have you count the cost? Because you have to be broken. You have to be broken before the Spirit fills you. And so reckless Peter became righteous Peter, and it wasn't until after his brokenness where he was cured of foot and mouth disease, cured of speaking out of turn. And so what a hope we have in Jesus, who will do in our lives what he did in Peter's life. And our past failures, our past broken promises, our botched commitments, your very best, as if... It was denying Jesus over and over again. And and you may wonder, am I ever going to be used of God? Because, man, I'm just a failure and I keep on failing and I keep on doing this stuff. And yes, you are. You're going to be used by God if you're willing to be broken. The Bible, God's word says, yes, he's going to use you. But before you are filled with the Holy Spirit to do incredible works for the kingdom of God, you have to be broken. You must be emptied before you are filled. right? Filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be emptied of the other stuff. You must be weak in order to experience strengthening. You must weep bitterly before you experience an overflowing joy and forgiveness. Brokenness, emptiness, tears, failure, regret, disappointment, all those things are part of God's methodology in pointing us to Jesus. We won't amount to very much for the kingdom of God until we look into the eyes of Jesus. Even if God himself shows up. If you're not broken, there's very little change. Where we are able to see our own pride and recognize our sin and learn from our brokenness. And this is totally contrary to the world because the world tells us that you live it up. You do whatever feels good to you, whatever you think is right. You do whatever makes you feel happy. However you feel, that's the right thing. No one can tell you how to live. No one can tell you how to think unless you think the right things. And You show your strength. You show how smart you are. And you can solve all the world's problems. You are the greatest thing to ever evolve. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is folly, with God. And the pivotal point in Peter's transformation lies right here in this section of Scripture where he was completely broken, looking into the eyes of Jesus because it revealed so clearly his denial, his sin. And without this transformative experience, Peter would not have been able to fulfill verse 32 when Jesus said, And when you have turned again, strengthen your brother. He knew he was going to fail. When you get back up, strengthen your brothers. The same thing for you guys. When you guys learn from your failures, help others. Peter was only able to strengthen after failure, after brokenness. Peter's transformation was impossible without failing. He had to fail. 
Failure can be a great teacher if we learn from it. And in order to learn from our brokenness, we have to rely on God. And if we are to truly rely on God, brokenness is necessary. Let's pray. Father, we desire for things to change in our world. We desire for your gospel to reach every person who does not know you. We desire your disciples to go deeper into a relationship with you. But so often we want to bypass many things. We want to bypass the difficult process of brokenness. We want to bypass the difficult process of experiencing weakness and pain and suffering. We want to bypass praying. And so often we're like Martha and we just want to go start doing things. But may we be more like Mary in choosing the better thing and being in your presence. The things that we do, Lord, are are so predictable. We put this much effort, we put this much money, we put this much time, and we yield this result. And Lord, we want to do miraculous things. We want 3,000 people to come to repentance and into your kingdom. And that is only done, Lord, after much prayer, after much brokenness, after much reliance on you and not self-reliance. God, forgive us of our self-preservation and our self-reliance. May we be more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.